God's presence, God's people, God's purpose, God's plan. These have always been the essential ingredients of the church. We find a recording of Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection in the Gospel of Luke. That letter was the first of a two-part work, the second being the Book of Acts. In this letter, Luke recalls Jesus' ascension and commission, the spread of the Gospels, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit through the early church. In the past, God's presence was with His people in one place at one time. But early on in Acts, Pentecost occurs and God's promised Holy Spirit is unleashed in power, filling those who would receive and overflowing to those around them. With this new Holy Spirit power, the church began to explode, stirring among thousands as the message grew and spread. The mission of the church has been made clear by Jesus himself. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And now, more than 2,000 years later, God's presence is still being unleashed among God's people, and we are part of God's continued purpose and God's continued plan as the Holy Spirit moves in and through us. Well, it is the 4th of July, and I'm glad that you're here, that you've taken time out of your holiday long weekend to be with us, to worship God, and to look into His Word. And I hope that you're not disappointed, because I think what we're going to look at and hear today will inspire and encourage you, whether you're in our building or whether you're online or in our Skagit campus. With our Skagit campus, a special shout out to Pastor Scott Moon, who is the new interim Skagit campus pastor. So glad that he's down there with you. And online, to be able to have Pastor Brian as our online campus pastor, give him a little shout out in the chat there. Tell him you love him or something nice. Be nice to him. Hey, uh, as, uh, as you know, we are in this series on the book of Acts throughout the, throughout the summer months and even into the fall, through September, we're going to be looking at the book of Acts. This is our fourth week in the series, and we're still in chapter two. Now, I will say this. Today we will finish chapter 2, and then we will start speeding up as we go through the book of Acts. We're going to have to skip over large portions, which grieves me deeply, deeply because there's some really cool stuff we're not even going to be able to land on. So I want to encourage you to, to read that and study that on your own. Today as well, in the middle of my sermon, towards the end of my sermon, we're going to be taking communion together. So if you're watching online and you want to participate, if you could find some elements around to use as communion elements. As you came into our building, you were probably given the little childproof, self-contained communion apparatus. If you didn't get one of those uh, later, you can raise your hand and we can pass those out to you, but we'll be doing that later on. And I'll give you ample time to start trying to figure out how to peel those things off so we can actually get to the body and blood of Christ. Anyway, let me catch us up to speed. Jesus is gone back to be with the Father. He tells his disciples, wait here in Jerusalem for a gift. They've been waiting. Ten days passed. They're spending every day down in the temple courts and Solomon's colonnade. They're praising God. They're worshiping. And then on the tenth day after he left, it's the day of Pentecost at the nine o'clock service. They're in the temple and something amazing happens. I mean, it is something is unleashed and it is unhindered and it is unstoppable. In fact, it's unbelievable and unprecedented. There's this sound like a, like a roar, like a wind, like a rushing wind that comes through. And then there's this, this thing that happens. It's kind of like fire, but it's not fire. It looks like fire, but it's hard to, to, to describe as it comes down, and then it divides up, and it goes on to the followers of Jesus. And then they... They have this ability to speak in a language they haven't learned yet, and people who are at the day of Pentecost from all different language and 
nations and people groups or whatever, they're hearing them in their own language saying, hey, how does he know my language? How does she speak my language? I can hear it in my language and all this is going on. And what has happened is they've received the promised gift. It was the gift, if you were here last week, it was the gift that Moses wished for. He dreamed about. He, he thought that would be so cool. It's the gift that the prophet Joel foretold would happen. It's the gift that Jesus said would be delivered within a few days. It was the promise of the Father. And now the gift of the Holy Spirit is poured out on his people, on all people. And at that point, we begin to see the birth and the growth of the church. And as all this takes place, this, this roar, this wind, and this, these fire-like things, and, and these people being able to speak in languages they hadn't learned, and people understanding it in their own language, the people respond and they ask a question, what does this mean? And Peter tells him, he preaches his first and best sermon, and which is completely uncharacteristic for Peter, he doesn't mess it up this time. He doesn't stick his foot in his mouth. Something has changed in his life. He is now empowered with the Holy Spirit. And at the end of his sermon, no longer do they ask, what does this mean? They ask this question, what shall we do? And so he tells them. He tells them what they should do. And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's where we stopped last week. Today we pick up and he goes on, he says, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. This verse is historically, at least in my lifetime, in the church, has been so overlooked. It's so, it's so important, and yet we go beyond it. We see what happens, and that's important, and it's great. But this verse, that this gift, this promise would be for you and your children. They got that. They're of the house of Israel for generations. But it also says, for all for whom are far off. Well, what does that mean? I don't think Peter fully understood what he was saying. I think that was words empowered by the Holy Spirit. He says them. It makes sense. He doesn't fully know. Those who are far off, those who are far off spiritually. This promise would be for those who are far off spiritually. Not just for the God-fearing, Torah-following, religious Jewish people but for those who are not following the law, those who are not walking close to God. Isn't that what Jesus demonstrated? I mean, when he would come and he would open up the kingdom of God to people like Matthew and Zacchaeus, both of them tax collectors, he would open up the kingdom of God for prostitutes and a thief dying on a cross, that it would be for those who are far off spiritually, and the promise would be for them. But not only that, it would be for those who are far off racially and ethnically, not just for Jewish people, not just for those of the house of Israel. This was unthinkable. I mean, they were God's chosen people. They were set apart for his purposes, but it's a new day, and they would find that out. Philip would find that out when he would go to Samaria, to the Samaritans. He would find it out when, when he encounters the Ethiopian, and, and the Holy Spirit says, go to him. Peter would find it out when he has this, this vision and, and, and then he goes and he, he meets Cornelius, a Roman, and, and his family. And Paul would find this out when he would be sent to all the Gentiles in the, the surrounding region. It wouldn't just be for the Jewish people, for those who are far off racially and ethnically, for those who are far off geographically. It wouldn't be just for those in Jerusalem or in Judea. 
In fact, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And it would go through to the whole Roman Empire and even beyond for those who are far off geographically and for those who are far off chronologically. See, Peter and the disciples, they were thinking that Jesus' return was imminent. Like he might be back by next Thursday kind of thing. They had no idea that it would be years, centuries, millennia, that 2,000 years later, this would still be happening. But the promise was for those who were far off. This is why this is incredibly good news for us. Because while Peter is saying this and he has no clue what he's talking about completely, he is talking about you and I. Because we were far off spiritually, weren't we? We weren't just people that needed improvement. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were objects of wrath, but it was God's love, it was God's grace to reach out to those who were far off. That's us. We're far off ethnically and, and, and you know, racially. I mean, I'm not Jewish. Most of us are not Jewish. We're the Gentiles. We were the ones that were excluded. But this was for us. And geographically, halfway across the world, you know, 10 hour time difference from where they were. And chronologically, 2,000 years later. You see, this is the beautiful thing is that the book of Acts, as I've said every week in this series, is the history of the church, but it's his story of the church that continues on. That is the ongoing work that is unstoppable. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to pause in my sermon right now to tell you about his story that continues on. I wasn't going to do this, but as what I'm going to share with you, I shared with our elders on Thursday morning at our elders' prayer time. I shared this with them, and they said, you have to share that this weekend. I said, well, that'll make my sermon longer. <laughs> so I'm glad you're here. Last weekend, if you were here, uh, we had baptisms. And as we were planning this series, we were talking about how cool would it be if on the weekend where we talk about, you know, Pentecost and the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and people being baptized, that we would give people an opportunity to be baptized. So we did that. Going into the weekend last weekend, I don't know, we had 26, 27 people signed up to be baptized at each of our services, both campuses, and it was great. That Saturday afternoon, as I'm driving to church, to get ready for, for, the, for the weekend, there's a little, just kind of a little nudge, a little prompting from the Holy Spirit. Not a voice, just this little prompting, this little idea, this thought of, we're having baptism this weekend, it's an exciting time, people will see people being baptized. You're preaching on the New Testament church when people got baptized, so you're preaching on it. Why not give people an opportunity after they've seen it and heard it to be baptized if the Holy Spirit were to prompt them? And I think, well, that, that's a good idea. But, and here's the deal with me. The, the nudgings of the Holy Spirit, I'm not always, okay, is this, God, is this you, is this me? I, I, so I got to church, and, and I, I got Pastor Jeff and said, hey, Jeff, here, here's this thought, this idea, this what do, you, what do you think about this? After the service, we give people an opportunity to be baptized. He says, I think it's great. So then we had to scramble and go to, to work with all the teams because it, it impacted more people than just Jeff and I. So if you were here last weekend, you know at the end of my sermon, I, I said, hey, listen, maybe the Holy Spirit is prompting you. Maybe you've seen some baptisms and, and you've heard about baptism and you're thinking, man, I, I, one of these days, I ought to be baptized. And maybe today would be your day. 
And then I brought up the three objections that you probably have in your mind right now. One, I don't have swimming trunks. Two, I don't have a towel. And three, I would have to go home wet. I said, well, it's not a problem. Just you know, clear everything out of your pockets. We'll give you a towel. It's so warm last weekend, you'll dry off before you head home. As I was sharing that, there was an individual in our Skagit campus. His name is Chance. Just graduated from high school, moved to Mount Vernon, has a job with construction, came to Mount Vernon, and he asked a friend, if I wanted to go to church, where should I go? And he says, well, I don't know. I've heard about this church called Cornwall. He shows up at our Cornwall Skagit campus last Sunday by himself, 18, 19-year-old uh, young man, by himself, first time he's ever been in our church because a buddy that probably doesn't even go to our church suggested it. I'm telling this story, and as I'm saying, here's what you can do, empty things out of your pocket. I found out later, while he was sitting there, he starts pulling stuff out of his pocket, and he takes off his cowboy boots, and when Pastor Brian say, says, does anyone else want to be baptized, his hand shot up, first time he's ever been at our church in, in Skagit, his hand shot up, and Pastor Brian got to baptize Chance last Sunday morning right after it. I mean, full-on jeans and leather belt, I mean, the whole thing, he just went for it. While that was happening, here in Bellingham, there was a man named Constantine who came here, and he met with Pastor Jeff, and Constantine has spent some time in prison, and he's getting his life turned around, and he wants to follow Jesus, and he was talking to Jeff, he says, I want to repent, and then he began to tell Jeff all the things he wanted to repent for, and Jeff said, I felt like a priest at confession, he's telling me these things, and Jeff talked with him and prayed with him, and following the nine o'clock service, Jeff got to baptize Constantine right out here, because the Holy Spirit prompted him. While all that is happening, a man named Mark is here in town watching the services, engaging in the worship, listening to the sermon online, and he hears me say, you know, if you want to be baptized, maybe right now, and in the chat he says, hey, are they going to do that after the 11 o'clock service as well? And Randy and Suzanne, different ones, were chatting, and they're saying, yes, there's, they're going to be doing baptisms. If you want to go, just show up. So Mark, having been to service online, decides, I want to be baptized, drives to Cornwall, Bellingham, so that after that, that Jeff and I could baptize Mark because he was prompted by the Holy Spirit. While all that is happening, in the 11 o'clock service, there's a couple at this, here in the room from out of town. After service, they come up. I meet with them down here. It's a young man named Joel and his wife, her name is Mina. And they begin to tell me their story. Joel used to go to Cornwall years ago. And then he was he enlisted in the Air Force, and he was uh, stationed in, in Daegu, South Korea, where he met Mina. Mina comes from a Buddhist home, was raised in a Buddhist family, but meets this young man, Joel. They begin to be, have a friendship. Joel continues to watch Cornwall online because this had been his church before he went into the airport, Air Force. He invites Mina to start watching services with him. Her first exposure to Jesus was because of Cornwall Church online in Daegu, South Korea. She becomes a follower of Jesus, marries Joel there in the Air Force. He's been stationed with several tours in Europe. They're back in, in South Korea, and they, they watch Cornwall every single week. They're, they join us every single week, no matter where they are in the world. And all these last few years, Mina has said, if I could ever be baptized, I would be want to be baptized, baptized by that guy that preaches and, and so they just happened 
to be in town last weekend visiting family, just happened to come to the 11 o'clock service where the Holy Spirit had prompted me to say, if you want to be baptized, and she came up and said, I want to be baptized, and I want to be baptized by you. And you know what I thought, the first thought that went through my mind? I don't have swimming trunks, I don't have a towel, and I'll have to go home wet. I have to preach to myself, so I start emptying out my pockets, taking off my shoes, and going out there. We go, I said, you've got to meet Pastor Kip. Pastor Kip, when he was in the Army, spent about 10 years in South Korea. He begins to talk with her in her native tongue. It's like Acts 2 all over again. <laughs> She's just weeping, and at the end of the 11 o'clock service, I got to baptize Mina. <laughs> what? What an amazing deal. Pastor Brian got to baptize his son Dylan. Pastor Mike Leibel got to baptize his son Miles. Pastor Jeff got to baptize his son Wyatt. We had people that were seven years old, people that were seven years old. One woman who is dying of cancer and is going into hospice said, I want to be baptized before I go meet Jesus, was baptized last weekend. See, it's not just the history of the church. It's his story of the church that continues on. It, it is unleashed. It's unhindered. It is unstoppable. And right now, some of you may be saying, I should be baptized. <laughs> if we're going to do another baptism in two months, early September, we would absolutely love to rejoice with you as you take that step of obedience in your journey. But it's God's work, and it's continuing on. And I just thought, you know what? And the promptings of our elders, that'd be worth sharing with us today. Praising God. So, so Peter, he tells them, Repent and be baptized. This is what you should do. And they do. The response is incredible. Those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. Listen, that's not just expanding the church with addition. In fact, that's not even exponential growth with multiplication. That's an explosion. That's meteoric. That's astronomical. That's atomic. This thing blows up. They went from 120 to 3,000. You can, i just thinking, that night, after everything's happened and all the dust settles, Peter's laying in bed, cannot fall asleep. He's just staring at the ceiling going, what was that? What? And then he goes, that's what Jesus meant that I would be fishers of men. This is cool. This is way better than the smelly, scaly things that I was catching. This is amazing. It's just like, Wow. I think the other 11 disciples are laying in their beds, eyes wide open, can't sleep, and their thought is, what do we do now? We don't have a building. We don't have a budget. We, we don't know what we're doing. We don't have a children's ministry. We don't have men's ministry. We don't know. We don't have a, we don't have a strategy. What do we do now? And Peter's in charge. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit was in charge. And that makes all the difference. So what I want us to do is I want us to spend our time in the rest of chapter 2. I want to read through this, and then I want to circle back to one verse that we'll spend the majority of our time on. It says this, Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves, these 3,000 people that had just been baptized, just became a part of the, the kingdom of God. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily 
those who are being saved. Wow. What a story. See, it wasn't just a, a flash in the pan. It wasn't just an emotional experience. And they realized that in, in the breadth of growth that had happened, somehow there needs to be a depth of growth as well in these individuals. That they weren't looking to just make decisions, but to follow Jesus' instructions and make disciples. And this is what they did. So chapter 2, verse 42, is one I want us to spend some time on. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, when I read this, I'm like, okay, they devoted themselves. I, I know what I, I think of when I think of devoted. But I went to our resident Greek geek, Pastor Kip, and I said, Pastor Kip, would you, would you do a, a, a little Greek research for me on this word devoted? And the first thing Kip did, he starts singing to me Olivia Newton-John song, Hopelessly Devoted to You. So I said, go back to your books, go, you know, just leave me alone. So he comes back with this long page of all this research. And in and, and the essence, let me just kind of distill it down, that this idea, I mean, we know what we think of when we hear the word devoted. But this idea of being devoted in this context was a continuous, ongoing, deliberate, intense focus. This, not just a, a one and done. It's a continuous, it's an ongoing thing. And it's, it's an, a very deliberate, very intense focus. So when you, when you see this, what they were doing, you know, with the apostles' teaching and, and to breaking their bread into the fellowship, into prayer, it wasn't just a, oh, this checklist, I have to do this, or guilt and obligation, or manipulation, or we, this is our system, or this is our, our formula. No, no, there was an earnest desire and an expectation out of their love and their gratitude for what God had done. And what you find with this early church is it's beginning. I mean, there's, it's like a baby boom. There's baby Christians everywhere. But they are continually, with this ongoing, diligent, intense focus, they are becoming what God is creating on this earth, his kingdom, his church. And it's a learning church because they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They're learning. Now remember, these are Jewish people. They know their, their people's history. Some of them know parts of the uh, Torah and the Old Testament, some more than others. But as far as this whole thing with Jesus, this is all new to them. Now, now some of them had heard about him. Some of them may have been at the feeding of the 5,000. But for most of them, they, they had no idea who this rabbi Jesus was that apparently was crucified, was buried, and was raised again. How would they ever find these things out? Jesus didn't write a book. He didn't leave a manual. He didn't have any wisdoms that he had written down. But he had poured into these guys for three years. And for three years, and you know the, the story in, in chapter one that we had to skip over of, of replacing Judas with Matthias. We didn't even get to that. But what was the qualification? Had to be with Jesus from the very beginning to the end, that three years. Why? Because of what Jesus would do and say and teach. And so now people are coming to hear the disciples. And no doubt they're talking about what Jesus taught them about the kingdom of God. That's what he talked about from the start to the finish. At the very beginning, after his baptism, he went amongst people and he spoke about the kingdom of God. After his resurrection, he came and he met with them and he talked about the kingdom of God. So now they're telling them about the kingdom of God, this new way of thinking, this upside down way of living. All the things that they had heard in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes in this crazy way that we are to, to live and who is really blessed and the path to the, the, the blessed and fortunate life. And they would teach these things that Jesus had taught them. No doubt the parables that Jesus had told, the stories that they had heard and, and the meanings behind them, he would, they would tell these stories, these parables, they would pass them on. 
The whole idea that, that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. They would just teach these things to, to these young believers to learn about not just the Old Testament, but how the Old Testament finds its fulfillment in Jesus and what Jesus taught. And this is what Jesus said they would do anyway. When he gives them that great commission, he says, go into all the earth, make disciples, and he says, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Teach them to obey. Remember what we talked about last week. It's not just information. It's not just head knowledge. It's this biblical information, this Jesus information that leads to a, a personal application that results in a life transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit and his word. And they're learning this, and they're eager. And this wasn't just a weekend retreat or a one-week seminar or a few classes here and there. This is how the church operated. This was a new day. And it continues on, and we probably won't even hit this, but in, in Acts chapter 17, it says, Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, to which the Thess Thessalonians, if they were in our day, would be highly offended and have a lawsuit. Anyway, the Bereans are more noble character than Thessalonians for... They received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. This is my desire for us, that we would be like Bereans, that, that we are eager to hear, God, what does your word say? How does it apply to my life? How do I live this out? Give me insight. Give me the power to do that and to look into it every single day. Listen, I and the other pastors who preach here, we will do everything we can to give you solid biblical messages but what we really desire is that you would learn to feed yourself from the Word of God and supplement what you get here. Check what we say against the Word of God. See, here's the advantage you and I have over that New Testament church in Acts. You have the Bible. You have the apostles' teachings. You have Jesus' teachings right there. And the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. They were a learning church. They devoted, it was an ongoing, continuous, deliberate, intense focus on all the things that Jesus had said and done. Not only that, but they were a connected church because they devoted themselves to, to the fellowship. Now, that word fellowship, honestly, in a church, we diluted that, um, really. I mean, again, some of you will know what I'm talking about because you were raised in churches like I was, that growing up, there was the church building, and then there was a place where apparently this took place. It, it was a special room. Uh, in ours, it was in the basement. It, it was Anyone know what it was called? The Fellowship Hall, where all fellowship takes place. And the Fellowship Hall is where we go. And, and so as a child, it's like, well, obviously, fellowship, that means go to the basement. And that's where we'll have potlucks and casseroles and green beans with cream of mushroom soup and little onion sprinkles on top and little triangle sandwiches with the crust cut off and Oscar Mayer meat paste smeared on them and a bag of mother's assorted cook. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Okay, we've lived that, haven't we? Like that's fellowship? No, 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 no. The ice cream social, that's social. See, this word fellowship is the word koinonia and it is far deeper, far richer, far more richer, far more rich, far greater than just this social idea of going to the basement and having ice cream. It's this, this mutual closeness, this investment in one another. In fact, in, in the New Testament, the phrase one another, like these commands to, to do this, one another, that phrase occurs more than 100 times, and, and from one of my searches, 
apparently there are 59 different one another commands in the New Testament of how we are to engage with one another, to love one another, to forgive one another, to bear with one another, to build up one another, to encourage one another, to exhort one another, to rejoice with one another, to honor one another, to pray for one another. It just goes on and on and on. It's not just have ice cream together in the basement. It's to have this life where we are engaged with each other and where the strong bear up with the failing of the weak and we rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep and we come alongside. In our weakness, people come alongside us. In their weakness, we come alongside them and we do life together. Paul would write to this church in Thessalonica and he said, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well because you had become so dear to us. We didn't just preach the message, that was amazing. We engaged in our lives together. And sometimes it was difficult and sometimes it was messy, but we're the body of Christ. And let me just say to you, that that is a mark of the church of Jesus Christ, where people, even in their differences, can have community, this community, because it's based on one common factor, Jesus Christ. There's one Lord and one baptism, one spirit of us all. And let me just state this. What that means is people who are truly focused on Christ can be together in community, even a Republican and a Democrat, if their focus is on Jesus, not their politics. The focal point is Jesus. We sang about it today. Jesus at the center. Be at the center of it all that Jesus is the one that unites us. And that's what we long for, that we would, we would not, Christianity was never meant to be a solo sport. Not, never meant to do it on your own. And we want people, we want you to be connected. And listen, if, if you're not, there's some great ways that, we won't guarantee it, but it's good starting points, maybe on a serving team or in a community group. And if you want to be a part of that, now again, I know in the summer, sometimes some of these groups take a break or they meet less often. But if you want to be a part of a community group, say, I'd like to connect in one of those kind of settings, man, contact Pastor Brian. Pastor Brian's online right now, or you can email him and he can get you, he's, he's our, our pastor over our community groups, and to get connected. But they had devoted themselves, ongoing, very deliberate, very intense focus on the fellowship. And it wasn't just a potluck. Not only that, but they were a worshiping church. And this is the point where you need to get this ready. And if you didn't get one of these on the way in and you would like one, if you just raise your hand right now here in the room and, uh, and we've got some ushers that will bring you. This is the communion thing. But start, because these things are child, these things are pastor proof. It's hard to get into those. So, so you, I'll keep talking, but you try to, anyone at all, everyone that's got, I think we're good. All right. So you say, okay, well, Bob, how do you get a worshiping church from the breaking of bread? Because the breaking of bread sounds like your potluck you were just talking about. All right. Well, this is the thing. When Jesus, just, you know, 50 days earlier, was in the upper room with his disciples, he took the bread and he broke it. This is when he, he institutes this communion thing, the Eucharist. He took the bread and he broke it. And that becomes this terminology for communion. Breaking bread, it was more than just having a meal. But in the early church, and you can see this in, in uh, some of the writings in Corinthians, very often when they would have a meal together, part of that meal, they would stop and take communion. That it was a, 
every much a part of their meals as, as they would gather together. And Jesus said, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So maybe it wasn't just once a week or once a month or once a quarter or however often. Maybe in that early church, they did this frequently. Whenever they ate, whenever they drank, they would do it in remembrance of him. And it's almost like, think about this. When they would gather together, they would have their meal. They would be talking. They would have great times together. But somewhere, maybe they would stop and say, you know, let's, let's just pause here. And let's turn our focus to Jesus and what he's done. And tell me, if turning your focus towards Jesus is not worship, what is? That's what worship is all about. Coming back to the heart of worship, it's all about you, Lord. It's all about Jesus. And so they would stop, and they would, they would remember that he, is, he had broken the, the bread as his body was broken, and that his blood was spilled, and they would take the cup. I mean, think about it. It's, it's, if, if you were together today in a barbecue for the 4th of July and everyone's having fun and got fried chicken and whatever's going on, and you say, hey, hey, wait, well, let's just for a moment, let's just stop here. I want us to take a moment and just focus our attention on Jesus and what he's doing. No, no, listen, I'm, I'm not trying to guilt you in or manipulate you or tell you you should do that. But it was that kind of thing. They would just do this in the context of their meals. But today, in the context of our gathering, here in this gadget, and those of you online, we want to do this together. And I want to read for you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 when Paul writes this. He said, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I wonder... Would you just break this? And Jesus, we are so grateful that your love would send you to the cross, that your body would be broken, that you would willingly submit and surrender so that we could have life, so that our broken lives could be mended and could be healed, could be brought back together. And so today, as we take this bread, we do remember what you've done. And we thank you. And we pray this in your name. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim the Lord's death, a backwards look at the cross, until he comes, a forward look at his return. Jesus, we thank you that you took on the cup of suffering. We thank you that this is a reminder, symbolic, of your blood that was spilt and that you offer to us forgiveness, a clean life, washed, as it were, in the blood of the Lamb, the free gift of eternal life, but the high cost was your precious blood spilt. And you did it willingly that we could have life and no longer stand condemned before our God. So today we take this and we remember 
And we are so grateful. And Jesus, may we, may we be spared from ever focusing on anything but you. Thank you for this gift of life. We pray it in your name. You know, for 2,000 years, we join with brothers and sisters from every era, from every culture, from every name, uh, language and every nation, followers of Jesus who've been continually, ongoing, deliberately, intensely focusing on him through communion. It's worshiping Jesus. And they were a pray-first church. They devoted themselves to prayer. And, and if you read, I mean, even the next verse in chapter 3, verse 1, it says they were going up to the temple for the time of prayer. There were set times of prayer for Jewish people. They continued on that. But I think it went beyond that. Because if you'll remember, the disciples, as they were with Jesus, they saw, they heard, they, they experienced, they witnessed how he prayed, and it was different. I mean, yes, he did what they did. He prayed the Psalms. He, he prayed the prayers at the time of prayer. But, but there were other... It was like it was relational when he would talk to God. It was conversational. He would even refer to him as Father, not Yahweh. It was, it was this relationship. And it so moved them, it so impacted them that they would come to him and say, Jesus, <laughs> teach us to pray like you do. We, we don't know how to pray like that. And he would give them the Lord's Prayer, and they would hear him pray the high priestly prayer in John 17, and they would learn a different way of praying. It wasn't just saying prayers. It was it was conversation. It was connection with their heavenly Father. And now, you know they're teaching the Lord's Prayer. They're teaching how to pray. Yes, we, we go to the temple for the times of prayer, but we continue to pray, and we continue to engage with our Lord, and we continue to pray for one another. And you just see as, as they're coming into this the reality and the, the, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, that they have devoted, committed themselves, ongoing, intense focus on learning and applying it to our li their lives and growing and becoming more like Jesus, of connecting and doing life together, of worshiping and focusing on him and praying. And what is the result? Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And we'll start looking at that next week. That there's this Jesus community that comes together. And at this point, yes, they're all Jewish. It will change, but at this point, they're all Jewish. But the focus is Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit to God's glory. And how they operate is different. goes on, verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They just continue to do this. And what you see in this new Jesus community is a community, a group of people that's marked by others. It's not just about them. There were others within their community and it was others beyond their community that they would reach out, they would share, they would care for, they would help. They would, and people were attracted to that. The way that they made an impact into the community outside of their own fellowship, their own body of believers. And that was marked even by a, a mark of generosity as they sell, sold possessions and they gave. And the temple, 
They still gave their tithes to the temple, but this was above and beyond, and they were just generous as they would share with others. And, and later we'll see as there was collections taken up for a famine and people that were struggling, they would help out, and it just impacted people. It, they were blessed in order to be a blessing. And again, this is the history of the church, but I want to pause the sermon to tell you about his story of the church that goes on. And what I want to share with you is meant not to in any way bring about pride or arrogance, but to bring about encouragement and gratitude and praise to Jesus Christ. We've been about a year and a half in this pandemic of COVID. And COVID has impacted our entire world. I mean, across the board. And it's impacted a lot economically. I mean, as you know, there are businesses that no longer exist today because of the impacts economically. There are nonprofit organizations that were doing incredible good things in our world that do not exist today because they couldn't sustain through the year and a half. There are churches, friends of mine, there are churches that don't exist today that did a year and a half ago because of this. And people have asked, well, Bob, how, how's, how's the, you know, the donations, the giving been? And, and the truth is, in this last year and a half, there's been a dip. Not as much has been given to Cornwall Church. And understandably so. There have been people without work. But I will say this. The amount of people who've been faithfully obedient to the tithe and generous, willingly to sacrifice beyond the tithe has been absolutely amazing. Because there are some organizations that we come alongside and we support financially. We help the, the things that they do. The Lighthouse Mission and their impact with, with the homeless. The, in Getty and their rescuing women out of sex trafficking. You know, Rebound and Teach One to Lead One that are working with kids that are at risk and their families. And, and Skookum Kids that works with the foster care system. And, and just all these. And, and we financially support them every month. And they've had their funds dry up or diminish. And because of your generosity, we've been able to not only maintain our support to all of these organizations that do incredible work, but in some instances, go above and beyond to help them in specific needs because you've been generous enough that we haven't had to back off on that at all. And it's been an incredible thing. And in addition to that, over this last year and a half, we've asked you to participate above and beyond, like, we always do the gift of grub at Christmas. Do you know in the last year and a half, we've done three different food drives to help out for COVID relief for the food banks, three different times. And the way that you have just poured out your support, you've come and just dropped off tons of food. It's just been amazing. Three times to be able to help out families and food banks and organizations. And throughout this, especially early on, we were doing hope drives where we would ask you, make a card, color a card, get your kids to do this, and bring a gift card so that we can just bring an encouragement, a little gift to frontline workers, to healthcare workers, to police officers, to, to fire department, uh, to teachers in the school district. And you came and you gave, and you don't know the thousands of dollars of gift cards that you've given to us that we were able to pass on just to encourage people. And then in December, the, the, I don't even remember what it was called, where you drive through toy drop-off. That was the highlight of my whole Christmas when I hadn't seen some of you since March and the, the cars were zigzagged, serpentine out throughout the parking lot into the next parking lot as you came to just drop off toys for the, for the toy store here and in Skagit. It's just your generosity has allowed us to be a blessing in this time of very difficult times for organizations and people and families. And on top of that, 
right after we had gone into the lockdown and 100% online, we were not sure what the future looked like, and we come up on Easter 2020, and as some of you know, historically, our Easter offering, we, we commit to giving every penny of that away to organizations outside of Cornwall. We don't keep any of that here. And we're like, should we do this? We're not sure what our finances are going to be like. We don't know how people will give. We said, let's do it. Let's just do it. God has given us, let's just be open-handed. And in 2020, at the beginning of COVID, the lockdown, you gave the second largest Easter offering of all time up to that point, $119,000. And over the course of that year, we're able to continue to help out. And, and things like, like with the wildfires, to be able to write a check to the Red Cross. There's a, 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 a village in Romania that was like in famine. We were able to write money, a, a check so that they could have food. There's a, a hospital in Haiti we were able to write. A, I mean, and we're not talking small checks. These are big checks, thousands and thousands of dollars to, to just help out in, in the school district. And that was, that was at the time the second largest Easter offering. So we come to Easter 2021. Now we've been in this lockdown for over a year. Do we do this? We're not really sure. Yeah, we got to do this. We got to do this. We got to always do it. You decide Easter 2021. Last year was good. We'll see you and raise you. So it becomes now the second largest Easter offering of all time with $120,000 that you gave so that we can continue to be a blessing. And on top of all of that, for those of you in Skagit, four and a half years ago, we purchased the facilities there at Skagit, there on First Street. And we knew that there were some serious upgrades and, and you know, fixing up that had to happen. And we had the cash for that, but we didn't have the cash for the building. And so we took out a 15-year loan to purchase that building so we could continue our ministry there in, in the valley. And some of you are a part of a, a capital campaign called 2020. Some of you gave above and beyond. And in that 15-year loan, last month, I signed a check Four and a half years into it, we paid off the building completely, and Cornwall Park is 100% debt-free as of last month, which, which allows us to be able to have a greater impact, and with our Skagit building paid off, there was a small church, a Spanish-speaking church, whose building was filled with black mold. It couldn't go in there. They actually gave the building to the Mount Vernon Fire Department to throw it on fire, put it out, start it up, put it up. That, they didn't have a place. So we're able to bless Hosanna Church and Pastor Santiago with a place where they can have church now until they can rebuild their own church. And this allows us to continue on. What I'm saying is this, is that what happened in Acts, the history of the church, is his story of the church that continues to happen. And we get to be a part of that. It's our chapter. And to be a part of the church that is marked with an other-centric, thinking about, about how can we bless, how can we help, how can we come alongside, how can we be a blessing to our world? And because of your generosity, Seth Godin, I don't think he's a Christ follower, but he makes a statement like this. This is one of his statements he's so famous for, and it can be applied to a lot of areas, but think about this. His statement is this. People like us do things like this. People like us do things like this. And for 2,000 years, the followers of Jesus, the church, has been empowered by the Holy Spirit. It is unstoppable. His story that we get to be a part of, people like us, we do things like this. Why? Because we've been blessed in order to be a blessing. God has richly abundantly poured out generously to us so we pass it along. 
We've received grace. We want to be instruments of grace. People like us do things like this. Gone way too long. But I told you I would. <laughs> Blame it on the elders. They told me to tell those stories. Let's go back to this final deal. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Are we devoted? This continuous, ongoing, deliberate, intense focus. And you can make your own judgment about us as a church, but, but I want to ask you, could you personalize this? Not in any way to guilt, or and I'm not even saying what the answer is, but to ask yourself, maybe do a kind of a, a personal inventory, a, a self-assessment. Am I devoted? I mean, ongoing, intentional, about learning, being in God's word, listening to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, being obedient, learning to obey all that Jesus taught. Am I, am I devoted to connecting and and to doing life together, to keeping my mind and my eyes and my life focused on Jesus, to praying, not just doing saying prayers, but, but praying, engaging with the Father, and focused on others, and being generous. Maybe, maybe if you're willing, sometime this week to just quiet yourself and before the Holy Spirit, Say, is there an area where I need to take another step? Is there an area where I need to kind of be a little more devoted? And if not, great, just keep doing what you're doing. But what if, I'll close with this, what if individually and collectively as a church, we just decided in our chapter of his story, we will be devoted. We will be devoted to be people of his word to apply it to our lives and doing life together, and worshiping Jesus and always keeping him at the center, and being people of prayer who pray first and think about helping others and being generous. What would happen then? God gets the glory as his church is unleashed, unhindered, and unstoppable. All right, stand as we close in prayer. Jesus, thank you so much for letting us be a part of your church. Thank you for what you're doing. And I, I just want to thank you for allowing me the privilege of being able to be a part of a group that is so generous, so willing to be used by you. And I pray that we as a church will continue to be like a city set on a hill, giving all glory to you. Do this in our lives, individually, and together as your people. I pray this in your name. Amen.